It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The ACC has changed, and three teams are entering the ACC. Also, Joe Biden, he refers to Pete Buttigieg in a very, very odd way. College football opened up yesterday. New season, same old Nebraska. Don't at me starts right now. Hey, let's not even mess around. Let's get into the story of the day. The ACC has extended. Yes, they have extended invites to SMU, Cal, and Stanford. And I got to tell you, I get Cal and Stanford. Look, forget in your brain the ACC, which stands for Atlantic. Don't even think about Atlantic. The other schools are on the Pacific. One's landlocked, SMU in Dallas. But you got to forget about that. What you got to think about is this. Money, dinero. Moolah, cash, scratch, you name it, however you call it, that's what sells. And the other thing is this, academically, look, Cal and Stanford fit what the ACC has always thought itself to be. When they let Florida State in years ago, it was like, wait a second, you're letting a community college in, what the hell are you doing? Don't let the community college in. Well, Florida State was a great football power and for years and years and years ran the roost in the ACC. Now the ACC, other schools, have decided that they are going to elevate and elevate. They have Clemson winning a national championship. So now as we see 18-team leagues, i.e. the Big Ten, the ACC said we got to join the party. We got to get to 18. And they added two teams that fit, I believe, Cal and Stanford, and one team in SMU that I got to tell you, other than money, I just don't get. And stop with this. Stop with the, oh my God, what are the swimming team going to do? What's the women volleyball team going to do? You don't care. Let me tell you something. As the lovely Lee Ross, LLRD, my wife said as a softball coach, don't act like you care now. You've never cared. Come to the games though, but that's it. Nobody cares. All of a sudden, everybody's a damn travel agent. Everybody acts like they're, well, these poor young women are going to have to travel across the country. These poor young men, you don't care. You've never cared, and you will never care. So don't start caring now. You're not Expedia.com. They'll figure it out. Everybody will have a good, good time. All right, this is the news of the day. This is the real news of the day. This isn't bad. It happened in Idaho. Idaho, where my father dominated Pocatello, a sex therapist. Listen to this. A sex therapist is saving, by all accounts, countless, countless marriages for uh, only $500,000 a year is what she right there is making. You know what she does? She has sex with the husband. That's right. She hooks up with her clients. It can be sex with the husband, sex with the wife, sex with both of them. And this woman right here, she of the fake lips, the fake rack, she re-racked years ago, pots and pans and spatula, anything you want, baby, and bring the wife. And in Idaho, this woman's making half a million a year. That's right. Hey, honey, you want to go to therapy? Yeah, but we got to go to old Delilah here because she'll bang both of us. That's what I'm talking about. 
That's a real sex therapist. That's someone that gets down and dirty with their clients. That's somebody that cares. That's somebody that's invested. That's not just somebody that's talking. You got to give this woman great credit. She knows what she has. She knows her business. She knows what couples want. And she gives it to them quite literally. And she ain't bad to look at. I mean, you know, I don't know. It's not like Hillary Clinton is trying to bang your husband and make him right. You know what I'm saying? I like it. Good for you. Look, there's sex workers and then there's sex workers. And this young lady has got it figured out. All right. I asked this on Twitter. I'm going to ask you. Oh, there you go. Is Keith Oberman sick? Is it a cry for help? Is he deranged? I I don't know. Like, Keith Oberman, I never really got, I never really liked, I never really thought he was anything other than kind of a smug, arrogant buffoon. But Keith Oberman has, quote, lost his damn mind here of late. He is so left that he can't think straight. He is so unafraid, I guess, to go at literally anybody. This time, he went at the uber-talented, the uber-smart, the uber-great, Riley Gaines, and we just won't have it. Here she is. Can you just address the reality and move past it? You sucked at swimming. That's why you lost. Now, look, I'm not mad at anybody for tweets. I tweet stupid stuff all the time. But this is just nasty and stupid. I mean, imagine, look, I'll tweet. I'll tweet Harbaugh's a cheater. I'll tweet whatever you want to tweet. But this at somebody that, first off, didn't suck, and I'm going to get into the whole thing with this. But think about this. Can you just add to the reality and move past it? You sucked at swimming? This woman came in, I don't know, fifth in that all-American. What are you talking about? But why would you put that? That's why you lost. It literally sounds like a 10-year-old. That's why I asked the question, is this dude just deranged? (laughs) Seriously. Because look, I'm half deranged. But I'm not going to put this out to anybody. You sucked, you lost, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? The smartest woman, or one of the smartest women that I know, Riley Gaines, wasn't having it. Here's Riley's response. All right, Keith, as I was getting my All-SEC first team honors down to show you, I dropped it. And I broke it. Which would be really unfortunate if I didn't have more of those. But lucky for me, I do. So let's go through it. SEC title, uh, second in the country. This is my SEC Community Service Leader of the Year Award, which actually got me a lot of money. Oh, another SEC title, uh, an NCAA trophy. Oh, look, SEC Scholar Athlete of the Year. Believe it or not, I'm pretty smart. Another SEC title, another NCAA trophy. Oh, that's when we won an SEC championship as a team. Some more SEC honors. Oh, look, another one. (laughs) That's when I broke the 200 butterfly record, uh, the SEC record, which I still hold, making me one of the fastest Americans of all time. And so Keith... I would be really sad if I broke this trying to prove a point to an old man who can't even seem to keep a job, but I've got more of these, so I'm not. Thanks, Keith. That is just awesome. You know what, Ken, Keith, can you just address the reality that you suck at reporting? See, I think in this one from Blake, you don't have to add the reporting. I don't think you have to add the reporting. I think you can just say, Keith, can you just address the reality that you suck? And you know what? We're talking about Keith Overman, so I guess mission accomplished. I guess. I don't know. 
It see, there's a couple of memes out there already. Let's have a look at some of the memes on the great Keith Oberman. There you go. <laughs> this next one is my personal favorite. This next one is, there he is. There you go, Keith. I don't know how to get to there, and it looks a little squishy to me, but I got to tell you, I, uh, I ain't mad about it. Look, here's the deal. If you want to get mad at Riley Gaines and you want to say that she's transphobic, show me any area where she's actually transphobic. I mean, that's all you got to do. You don't really have to call her names. You don't have to say that she sucked at something that she did at an incredibly high level with incredible success, with an incredible work ethic. You don't have to do that. You don't. But what you do have to do, ladies and gentlemen, is just be honest. And it's impossible. When the Libbies get mad at you, it is impossible. Look at that man. Football night in America. Looking like a badass. All right, this next story makes me sad. This next story makes me very sad. Wendy Nix is leaving ESPN. I don't know Wendy Nix, but I know Wendy Nix. I've never really had a conversation with Wendy Nix, but I know Wendy Nix. For 17 years, Wendy Nix has been at ESPN. I'll tell you why I absolutely loved Wendy Nix. When I was named the head coach at Indiana, And people were coming at me left and right. Boom, 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 boom. We played our first game at Northwestern. It was a big deal. It was a national story. ESPN, even though it was on a Big Ten network, set a reporter, all that kind of stuff. And that reporter was Wendy Nix. I kept with my routine, which was on the court before games, I worked players out. I don't care. We're down a coach. I decide this is what we're going to do. And I did it. Wendy Nix came up to me. She said, hey, Dan, I'm Wendy Nix. I said, hey, now you got to understand, I got every slap in America. I got IU fans mad, some happy, angry, glad, all this crap. But she just simply said, hey, Dan, I'm Wendy Nix. I'm with ESPN. I'm going to leave you alone. I just want to let you know I'm here. And if you'd like to talk, I'd love to. I said, hey, that's cool, Wendy. Thanks. And she did it in such a way where, I don't know, I just really liked her. I did. I just really, really liked her. Wendy Nix. Don't know her. She sent a note to my producer that she thought I was the best college basketball analyst. This is a long time ago. I told my producer, tell her that I absolutely love her for the way she handled me, my situation, and Indiana's situation at Indiana. I thought she was awesome. So she leaves ESPN. We should get Wendy Nix on so I can tell her of my undying love for her. I don't think she knows. It. Maybe she does. I don't know. But again, ladies and gentlemen, you know I love strong, tough women. And good luck to Wendy Nix. If ESPN got rid of her, then ESPN once again got worse today. All right, the Canadians are mad. The Canadians are saying, hey, don't go to the United States because we are transphobic. That's right. We are transphobic. No likey in many cases resulting in violence against the LGBTQ plus people, forcing families to uproot their lives, flee their homes in search of safer cities, states, and triggering a tidal wave of increased homophobia and transphobia that puts the safety of each and every one of us in jeopardy. Really? Really? I mean, seriously. I mean, look, I get it. We're at a point now where everybody is so sensitive that we must, we must act. And 
If you look and you remember, Kelly Robinson, the president of HRC, do you remember old Kelly Robinson? She was the idiot that in front of Congress said there's no evidence that males are better athletes than females. She was the one that Riley Gaines absolutely destroyed. I don't mean a little bit destroyed. She, Kelly Robinson, is the dumbest human being that I have ever seen. Me, I don't watch it all. I've ever seen come in front of Congress. So when Kelly Robinson speaks, or I quote Kelly Robinson, I just got dumber. No, I just got dumber for talking about her. I just got dumber for mentioning her name. She is legitimately the dumbest, most out-of-touch, ridiculous, liberal human being on the planet. Nonviolent crime division, non-Keith Oberman division, although she is more Keith Oberman than she is anything else. So here's the deal. If you don't want to come to the United States, don't. In fact, I think most of us at the southern border would say we'd rather you don't come. I think most of us would. We'd say, hey, look, we'd rather you just stay where you're at. But when Kelly Robinson speaks, and I quote her, we're all dumber for it. We just are. Hey, Nick Boza is holding out, and it's getting a little ugly. You know, here's the deal. I bet you if I talk to Urban Meyer... And people that coach him would tell you Nick Boza's awesome. They would say Nick Boza is absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. He's a great dude. Uh, okay. I, I, I don't disagree. You coach him. You love him. You know him. But Nick Boza is the reigning defensive player of the year. He wants money. He wants more money. He wants to be – this is Jonathan Taylor on the defensive side, although Boza – you know, is a little bit higher level, I guess. I don't know. Certainly his position is higher. So, John Lynch was asked, are you going to trade Nick Boza? Here's the answer. No, real simple. See, now I can get down with that. I can get down with a guy like John Lynch, who was a great player, answering a question. No, real simple. Compare that with Chris Ballard, who says no but I'm the greatest guy ever. I don't lie to my players. And once you lie to your players, you're done and blah, 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 blah. Look at me. I'm a survivor. See, John Lynch just says, no, real simple. Chris Ballard has to sell himself. One, John Lynch, been a pretty good general manager in San Francisco. He's built a roster where you can plug a quarterback in and win games. The other, Ballard has been horse bleed. Ballard has been an embarrassment. Not only with his team on the field, but in his, well, what's the right word? Video world, where he makes videos telling us white people how we're supposed to act. He makes videos calling guns the wrong names. He's kneeling. The coach is kneeling. We're all sad. Oh, people destroyed downtown Indy, but it was white people's fault. Not many white people were destroying downtown Indy. Just saying. Anyway, uh, there you go. Nick Boza's holding out. And God bless. Seriously, God bless you. Good luck to you. Personally, I have no interest in the holdouts. Personally, all I want to see is guys playing football. And I did last night. All right, ladies and gentlemen, when you're in Louisiana and you're the governor, you know what you got to do? You got to do everything you possibly can 
to make sure that LSU football fans are on your damn side. They are. That's what you got to do. Think about it. Think about it. Same thing if you were smart in the great state of Indiana, but the great state of Indiana is too stupid. The great state of Indiana worries about Purdue. You never worry about Purdue. There's no one else in LSU to worry about. There's nothing else to worry about in LSU. The governor, John Bell Edwards, asks LSU fans to quit grilling on opening weekend. I'm asking that people not engage in barbecuing and so forth, where fire can start. Let's be patient. Let's not create more work for firefighters across the state of Louisiana. You know what? Here's what I would say to that. He's right. Let's be smart here. We've seen wildfires. Let's be smart here. And I would assume that the governor, going against one of the great traditions in football at LSU, the tailgating, grilled alligator, all that crap that they do, must know something, must know the dangers. He must. And if he's saying that at the expense of popularity with LSU fans, I look at it like, hey, be careful here, LSU fans. This man knows something. Now, it's easy to crush this guy, right? I mean, that's what fans do if something happens that they don't like. But I, and I hopefully you, want to think a little deeper and say, wait a second here. He must know something. We better be careful. We better not go against this because we don't need wildfires. We've seen the devastation. It's real. Hey, uh, Jerry Jones is never going to win shizzle. According to our friend Stank, Mark Slareth, Mark Slareth says Jerry Jones will never win Let's listen to our friend Stank. This is why the Cowboys will never win because Jerry Jones can't help himself. I said it. It's there. You you think about Jerry Jones. You're going to go out there and you're going to make a trade for a guy without talking to anybody else in your organization. Stephen Jones, your head coach, Mike McCarthy, your quarterback. Listen, I I really don't care if you involve your quarterback in it or not. But to not involve your head coach, what does it say about your head coach? Stank ain't wrong. And I'm going to give you what I've always said, what I've always pointed to, and what I will always point to. Brad Stevens told me, and you all that listen to this show have heard me say this for years and years and years. Brad Stevens told me when I asked him the reason, other than, yeah, they had two pros, the success of Butler basketball to get to the national championship game two years in a row, once after losing a lottery pick, Gordon Hayward. He said this, and I'll never forget it. Everybody must be moving in the same direction. I don't care if it's a janitor. I don't care if it's a ticket guy. I don't care if it's the head coach, the assistant coach is the best player, the worst player, the walk-on, the academic lady. Everybody must be moving in the same direction. And this is something Jerry Jones has never really figured out. He's never really gotten everybody going. Jerry wants to be here. We learned that when he fired Jimmy Johnson. Egos collide. Well, when egos collide and the ego of the guy with the most power wins, so the other guy falls off, ego elevates. 
Everybody else becomes down here, again, to Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens' ego never overrode Butler basketball. You want to know why Indiana basketball went downhill after 1983 at, in, uh, 93 at Indiana? Bob Knight's ego overrode. He didn't want to work. He didn't go out and recruit. He went hunting all recruiting period. He did not show up in kids' houses. It was a mess because of ego, period. Ego overrode Jerry Jones where he makes the decision so everybody that's not involved in the decision splinters. That's how sports works. You're the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. You're the head scout of the Dallas Cowboys. You're the GM, the assistant GM, the assistant head coach. You're the quarterback coach, and you're not even consulted on something as big as bringing Trey Lance to your team because you got the ego of the owner slash general manager, and that is why they will never win, and stink is 1,620% right. Let me show you a little something, something here. Let me show you a little something that got arrested here in the great state of Nebraska, which is fast becoming my favorite state. By the way, bottom of the hour, Felica joins. We got bets courtesy of DraftKings. Let me show you. You're driving down the street. I don't know. Looks like you got Howdy Doody riding shotgun with you. Eh, we're just riding shotgun. Those, there he is. Look at this big old moose. Look at this thing. I don't know why you would arrest the guy. The guy didn't seem to be causing any problem. The guy just seemed like he's driving. Don't at me. I'm just driving down the street. I got me a big old thing on. Hey, uh, I would like to hear on the YouTube chat, have you ever driven down the street with something hanging out of your car like that? Can you play that again? That's really good. How about that action? Isn't that beautiful? How about that? That's just spectacular. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Nice. All right. Is this America's dumbest robbery attempt? Tight end for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Let's see. Here it is. This is the video of the tight end of Nebraska. Go get him, Eric. Go get him, Eric. Man. I don't want what he's having. You know, a lot of times people say, I want what he's having. I don't want nothing that he's having. Serious business. And then college football opened up last night. It's fourth down. Nebraska is going to win a game, is going to win a close game. Next thing you know, touchdown, Minnesota. Nebraska loses a one-score game again. Also, before we get to Chris Felica, I'm one and one. How bad was Florida last night? Now, you remember the story of Lane Kiffin being fired on the tarmac when he was the head coach of USC. I'm not so sure, and I know this makes Dylan really happy. I'm not so sure that if I were the athletic director of the Florida Gators, that I wouldn't have fired Billy Napier. I've got to tell you, last night was the worst coached football game I've ever seen in my life. And I don't really say that much about football. Basketball, I can tell you. Basketball, I can tell you everything. Everything. 
and a coach does this right, that a coach does this wrong. Football, normally I can't, but I got to tell you, last night, the undisciplined nature of, of, of Florida cost them so many points. How about having two guys, if you didn't see the game, I got to tell you, the game turned. Florida's hanging in. It's 7-3. to three. Florida forces a punt by Nebraska. Nebraska punts. Idiot punt returner feels the ball inside the five-yard line, gets maybe to the 10, gets tackled. All right. Flag. Penalty. Listen to the penalty. The penalty is on Florida, the receiving team, two guys on the receiving team, Wearing number three. Two guys wearing the same number. All right? I got to tell you, right now, whoever was responsible for that, I'd have a hard time not firing. I had a hard time firing people. I did. I had a hard time. I couldn't really fire. I I just, I couldn't. I'm sorry. I couldn't. But I got to tell you. I think, would you, YouTube chatters, would you fire the guy? Maybe it's too soon. Maybe it's the first game. The offsides penalties, and then it got worse. Then You're exactly right, Sean. Florida was horse bleep, and I like the look of your girlfriend, Sean. Anyway, here's the deal. Florida had procedure penalties. Florida's punt returner, after doing it once, did it again. I got to tell you. Florida's a high standard. Billy Napier's team was the worst coach football team I think I've ever seen. They continued to be stupid. On the other hand, they got exposed. Kyle Winningham is a guy nobody knows, but all he does is win at Utah, and he's great. Brad Buffington is a Wisconsin grad. Graham Mertz at Florida looked exactly like Graham Mertz at Wisconsin. Graham Mertz looks great until he isn't, and then he really isn't. I don't feel bad for Graham Mertz. I don't. Hey, you go to Florida, it's big ball football. Watch Swamp Kings. I apologize. I'm now one and one, and I'm down $10 on the football season. I took, per, or excuse me, I took Notre Dame minus 20, again, 20 and a half against Navy. I hit it for $100. 110 to win 100, I won 100. I'd have bet 110 to win 100. I lost 110. I'm down 10. Chris Felica, the Bear, ESPN, and, and, and. Oh, no, 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 no. Fox, big noon kickoff, and the Chris Felica Bear podcast next. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know, when I worked at ESPN, and I know it's easy to rip on ESPN, the corporation, but one thing I loved was the people. And one of the guys that I absolutely loved seeing when I went there was this man right here, Chris Felica. Whenever I got around the bear, it's just fun because it's like, 
you know, when you get to my age and you hang with women all the time, you know, your wife's here, your daughter's here, your stepdaughter's <laughs> here. It's just nice to talk to a real dude about real stuff, Bear. Uh, you, Stanford, Steve, and the rest, awesome. Now you're at Big Noon Kickoff. Now you're getting ready for Deion Sanders, baby. Welcome, and thanks for coming on. I, I was going to say, you're surrounded by, by quite a few with the uh... – the family that you've got there, right, for, for sure. You you got to get you got to get out of the house every now and then just to get your uh, your male conversation fix. My wife told me, Dan, I, I, just play golf every day. I know you need to hang around dudes in bed and talk shit. You know what I mean? You you got <laughs> you know it's what we need, you, Bear. You know you know what's funny? Lee, Lee Corso jokes about a lot of things, and he and he and he used to say. The secret to a happy marriage is getting out of the house. That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> hey, uh, Urban Urban told me, and talking about the upcoming game, you guys are there for big noon kickoff. He went and visited Dion. He went and visited Colorado, and he came back. He said, you know, they got a tough schedule, but he's got a great assistant coaching staff. He's got great assistants there. Don't be surprised if they don't win. The number's three and a half. I don't know where you're at with that number, but he said don't be surprised if they go over. Yeah, he he said the same thing about it. I mean, obviously the staff with, with Charles Kelly, who's been around the SEC, and Sean Lewis, who used to be uh, head coach in the MAC. So he does have a good staff, and he brought in some good players as well. The thing, the, the thing that worries me is that it's a completely unprecedented situation. Usually you have maybe a new coaching staff comes in and he's got the team and then he takes a little while to figure out what he has, but you've got an entire new staff and you've got an entire new roster which didn't play together in the spring. So I just don't know how quickly they're going to be able to to come together and, and have a successful season. Now, would it shock me if they won four or five games, especially we 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 have some FCS teams on the roster and you got <clears throat> on the schedule rather you got Colorado State, Stanford's bad in the Pac-12. Or it, it it could completely bomb because one of the other things that is interesting, normally when you're kind of a bottom feeder team or not expected to be good, a lot of teams maybe will look past you and it's kind of a look-ahead game for some teams and maybe they won't be all in and maybe you sneak up on someone and pull a big upset. This is not the case here. Every coach in that conference wants to beat Colorado and beat them badly. So they're not going to have the opportunity to sneak up on anybody and pulling a surprise. Now, now maybe with Hunter and Sanders and some of the other guys that they have, uh, they, they still just could beat somebody. But uh, as a better it's hard for me to bet this total now at three and a half, knowing that it was five when it opened. And to be able to lose out on a push on five, be able to lose out on a win on four and need three, that's kind of a tough deal from the better. So uh, if I had to play it right now, I would play under three and a half, but it's not something that I feel super great about. I feel much better if it was four, that's for sure. You know, TCU is interesting. They lost damn near half their team, too. I mean, they lost a ton of dudes. And so this is maybe, I don't know, th this is a game of unknowns. We could end up with TCU being really good. We could end up with both teams stinking, can't we? I mean, it's 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 an interesting game from that perspective. Now, TCU last year, while, yes, they were good, and, yes, they made the national championship game, they benefited from a lot of good fortune throughout the year. They won every – up until the Big 12 championship game – 
every single toss-up game that they could. So re- realistically, their record was probably closer to nine and three or eight and four uh, than it was eleven and one or twelve and one. I guess I should say with the Big Twelve championship. So like like they were on a fine line last year and losing all of the players that they did. Like it, it, I, I think eight and four is probably more representative of what we're looking at from TC this year. But I, I do think tomorrow. I think offensively they're going to be fine. Uh, defensively, they had some issues last year, but there were people last year that thought Chandler Morris was a better quarterback than Max Duggan, and he wanted to be the runner-up in the Heisman Trophy balloting. So I, I think they have a good receiver room. J.P. Richardson someone who transferred in from Oklahoma State. So I think they feel pretty good about where they are offensively. It's just going to be a matter of whether their defense uh, continues to, or should, I should say just gets better and make some more plays this year. But I think tomorrow, I think Colorado's a little bit worried about the uh, the TCU offense. I, I think uh, upon looking at the film, I, I, I think that I think that I would expect TCU to put up a big number. Like for this game tomorrow, that's my favorite bet on the board for, for this game is TCU's team total over 41 and a half. Because I think Getting back to what I was saying before, everyone recovery coach wants to beat Colorado and beat them badly. They're not going to stop scoring. This is their home opener coming off of a loss in the national championship game. National television, big noon, excited, new quarterback. They have an opportunity to put up a lot of points tomorrow. You know, one of the interesting things in college football every year is the SEC. I got to tell you, Florida looks a long way. That was the most undisciplined, ridiculous performance. But two teams... That last year, I think, surprised a lot of people are in action this weekend. One, oh, I don't know. No, no, not in action this weekend. Uh, LSU. LSU, big game, Sunday night, Florida State, that kind of thing. Brian Kelly may have been – I mean, he should have been the coach of the year. I don't know. how There's a 1,000 coach of the year. But yeah. that dude got it done quick. And then Tennessee, same thing. And now Joe Milton, who actually beat out Hendon Hooker, gets his shot. I think those two teams are the most interesting teams walking. Yeah, I, I think LSU is a very interesting team because I'm actually on the under-season win total for LSU. Um, I, I think last year they they won a couple of games in in, in, the, in fashion that they were fortunate. I mean, they beat Alabama in a great game. But they, they, they snuck a couple out. And at the same time, I think they did show some holes. Like the offensive line needs to get better uh, maybe because Jaden Daniels took a ton of sacks and had to – run for his life on a lot of plays. So the O-line needs to be better. And I think they have some issues on the in the secondary right now with uh, some injuries and some players not panning out. Uh, that could be a problem on Sunday night with uh, w- w- with Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman, the Michigan State transfer, uh, in there. Like, and if you look at LSU's schedule as well, they've got Florida State, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State away from Baton Rouge first month of the season. And that doesn't even include the game at Alabama, who's going to be hell-bent on revenge. Doesn't include the game with AM. And I think AM finally, this is the year that people should have been pointing towards all along. So that's a potential four or five losses right there, in addition to something else happening and maybe sneaking up on LSU. But but I think look, looking ahead to Sunday night, I think they got some issues in the secondary. I think they got some issues in the running back room as well. So I would I would expect a lot of Jaden Daniels running. A lot of Jaden Daniels throwing, and uh, should be a fun game. Uh, it's funny you you don't know where you're at with LSU or Tennessee. I don't know where I'm totally at with Florida State. Like, am, am I ready to fully buy in uh, on the Knolls off of having a, uh, a surprisingly good season? Mike Norvell kind of 
was, was in a situation where a lot of coaches have been, where you need to kind of run off some guys and reshape the locker room and the culture. Because I, I don't think people really understood or grasped or appreciated how bad Florida State was at culture-wise and locker room size uh, after uh, Jimbo Fisher's last year and then Willie Taggart's tenure there. So I, I think Norvell finally this year probably feels pretty good about where they were. And they got some guys in the portal, like I said, with with Coleman. Jared Verse came back and could have left for the draft. Uh, Jordan Travis finished out the year great. So I, I'm, I'm pretty high on Florida State, but at the same time, I don't want to put jump and put both feet into the, uh, into the pool just yet. Bear... I, I got to ask you, they're already 1-0. They looked good. Sam Hartman looked good. I went to my DraftKings account, and I saw that Notre Dame's over-under is 9. And it's plus money at 9. Is that a sucker bet? I, bet, I, I went to my DraftKings account uh, about six weeks or so and saw that number 9, and, and I went under 9 you know, just, just because Did you? I think when it takes 10 wins to beat you, that that's something that's kind of like an unofficial motto that I have. Like if they win 10 games, fine. But I think with Ohio state, with USC, with Clemson, and remember they had two of the worst losses in the country last year, losing to Marshall and, and losing to um, Stanford. Like just two, two games is like massive favorites at home that you just shouldn't lose. So they've shown that they're capable of losing to anybody. And the, the, the optimist would say, okay, well, that's not going to happen again. But me, the the realist, the pessimist says, okay, it's happened every year. Why shouldn't we expect them to to trip up uh, in, in a spot we maybe expect them to win? And I, I think people might be overreacting a little bit to that win over Nook. Hartman looked great and their offense looked great, but how bad was Navy? And I hate saying that because oh. I, I love the I love the academies and I love what they stand for and I love how they represent and protect our country. But at the same time. Uh, this is a program that, that that is really at one of the lowest points it's been in quite some time, and they looked totally inept. So I, I think it, it's an opportunity to kind of take a step back and maybe take advantage and capitalize as a handicapper on the heights and the expectations now of Notre Dame, and maybe you'll be in a, a good spot. Maybe you'll get some better numbers if if you're looking to wager against the Irish. But look, Hartman did it. Hartman did it at, at, at Wake Forest for a couple of years, and I'm happy to see him now get to Notre Dame and do well. But I still think this is probably a 9-3 and three type ceiling because, because remember, you have games with Pitt and some other teams as well in addition to those three top 10 teams that they have. So I think 9-3 and three is about right. It feels, like a, it feels very pushy. Uh, for me, so to, to go over, they're going to have to win one of those games and avoid an upset somewhere else. Hey, you know what, Bear? A shocking overreaction to a Notre Dame win that never happened <laughs> in college football. I, I, I am, st- <laughs> I am stunned. Right? I mean, no, no, look, Notre Dame and Texas. And, and Notre Dame and Texas, the two biggest over overreactions to a win in yeah. college football. You know, it, it, I'm, to your point on Navy, Scott Strassmeyer, I'm sure you know Scotty, the SID. Yeah. He's been a longtime friend of mine. We worked to, yeah, he, we worked together at Indiana. Yeah, he right? was an intern in the sports information office, and we were friends. And I'm with you. I, I hated what <laughs> I was seeing. I, 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 I did. Hey, uh, a couple of other things. Um, do you like Joe Milton? I, I mentioned Tennessee earlier. You know, OutKick is based in Nashville. Dylan, mm-hmm. my producer, everybody's just all in on Tennessee. <laughs> uh, do you like Joe Milton? Do you like the Vols? I do. I do like Joe Milton. He's one of those guys that 
going back to Michigan, you heard about his arm and his skill, and then it just never equated to performance on the field. And sometimes that happens where guys have tremendous athletic ability and talent, and you you throw you put them in, and the lights go on, and it just doesn't equate to the game. But at the same time, he played great in the bowl game. He's looked good in the spring, from what I understand. Uh, he's they're going to have an opportunity tomorrow to. To, to put up a lot of points on a uh, a Virginia team that I don't expect to be very good, and that's another team that I hate talking about in a negative light after what the, that that program and that school and community had to endure last year with with, with the tragedy. I hope they have a better there this year, but they they're a team looking for a quarterback as well. So I think Tennessee comes out tomorrow and would not surprise me at all if they put 50 or so up. But the thing the thing now with Tennessee that you need to keep in mind is last year they kind of snuck up on some people. There weren't a ton of expectations because you had the, the controversy and maybe the sanctions surrounding the program and and everything that was left in life from the previous coach. And, and Heupel came in and they reshaped the roster and, and the wide receivers were great and Hooker was great. So now you got a, a completely different wide receiver room. You've got a new quarterback. You've got expectations. And now teams – will be looking for revenge. I don't think this team is going to bottom out by any means. I think with the offensive skill that they still do have, I think they will be okay. I think it's a little bit of a reach to expect them to win the SEC East and to to beat Georgia and to, and to go to Brian Denny and beat Alabama and maybe avoid an upset here or there. But this is still a very good team, and I think they're probably somewhere along the lines of 9-3 and three or so. And and, and, no, and, no, and, no, and knowing all of the knowing all of the reasonably sane minds that are in big in, in big orange nation that I'm sure nine and three will be seen as a uh, as a slight and oh you think Tennessee's going to stink no yeah they're nine and three that's that's a terrible year I'm sure everybody's going to going to going to see that and be like okay I can live with nine and three hey my guy Dylan yesterday said I don't give a damn. Who ten, uh, who uh, Florida's playing? I'm betting against them, so there you go. I mean, that's the mindset. That's a good strategy. That's a good strategy. I, look, I knew at the end of last year Oof. they had that rod when they had the, when they had that roster exodus and how bad their defense was, and just from being around the the the, the coverage of the bowl, like it, it, the signs were there that they were going to struggle this year. I did not expect that. I mean, that was the, that. The, the offensive does look. I don't want to put this all on Graham Mertz, but he's someone going back. He had that great opening game at Wisconsin and heralded seven on seven football. Great recruit, great arm. Wow! Like, like they do they have nobody who can stretch the field. Like some of the play designs that fourth now, like that fourth and fourteen where we're going to try and throw. Like 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 a like a screen, catch the ball behind the line of scrimmage, and maybe run for 13, 14 yards to get the first get. Like, look, I get the offensive line was bad and they were under pressure, but that was a that was a Utah team that was down eight starters and they beat Florida by four, four double digits. Like that that is a bad sign for Florida moving forward. And, and, and again, I did not think going into last year that the roster was going to be that bad. But after seeing it a year later and seeing who's gone and and the direction that they're in, they they have a uh, they have a bigger rebuild than I think a lot of people would have expected. Oh, hey, Urban's a friend of mine. I know you know him well. Hmm? 
friend yep. of yours, and he was uptight about every single game. He thought he was getting fired legitimately. We used to talk <laughs> a lot when he was in Florida. And I got to tell you, if I'm Billy Napier, I'm happy that they let me on the plane going home uh, because that could have been Lane Kiffin part two, my friend. Yeah, they, they, they're going. They're going to have. There, that is not a place is is urban related with, with a lot of patience. And obviously, with the, with no. Dan Mullen, the year the first year that he had was a good year, and then year year two they 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 were fed up with him. So you had not a lot of patience, and you're in you're in a division now with Tennessee and Georgia and South Carolina is better, and, and on the West, you, like you, you're bringing in Oklahoma, Texas, like this is the losses like that kind of. Woo. Kind of stink, and it, it, it's it's not only a loss in the law column; it's a loss in the in the recruiting room. It, it, it's a loss in a lot of different. Fashion. He he needs to not lose the team now. He basically needs to go back into that locker room and just try and like, hey, this is game one. They are a top fifteen team. We're on the road. We scored late. We had an opportunity to score again. Missed missed an open receiver in the end zone. So like the, the 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 effort was there, but the execution and maybe the overall talent level oh. just is not what we're used to seeing from uh, from Gainesville. All right, last thing, and I'm doing this based on what you say right now. Indiana, okay. my boys at Indiana at home two years ago, three years ago, Tom Allen was the flavor of the month. Everybody wants yep. to play at Indiana yep. now. Without a quarterback at Ohio State, we, and yes, I'm saying we, I spent 17 You're allowed years to. There. You're allowed to open say up. we. Thank you. We open up as a 30-point dog. Which side of this should I go? Whenever you say I'm bad, I'd, right here on DraftKings. I'd, 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 lay, I'd lay it with Ohio State. Like I, 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 oh. just, I, I know uh, Indiana's quarterback situation, they're, they're they 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 had the decision to make, and I think they're going to let the young the, the transfer be the guy. But and, and look, I think Indiana will be better than last year. I think they did a good job in the portal, uh, bringing in some guys and making some changes on the coaching staff as well. It, it's not going to be dreadfully terrible like it was surprisingly last year. But I, I think it's more a play on Ohio State here uh, than, than anything else. Uh, like they they ultimately need to decide whether it's going to be McCord or whether it's going to be Brown at quarterback as well. They're going to go with McCord just because he's kind of a little bit more experienced. But I, I think the Ohio State, the way they lost last year and the ridiculousness, oh, Ryan Day is on the hot seat. Oh, he he he, he can't beat Michigan now. He can't win the big game. He only, only played for a national championship and won a couple of Big Ten titles and beat Michigan a couple times. So it's like that's another place where the – the the, the pre- I mean, where, where the pressure and the expectations of fans are, and like sanity doesn't always prevail, but I, I think with Henderson back healthy now in the backfield, um, with Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably the best player period in the country, including Caleb, Caleb Williams. Like I, I think whoever plays quarterback has a ton of weapons. I, I think if you look typically traditionally at how the Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator, his defenses improve from year one at a place to year two at a place. I think you can expect improvement there. Okay. It's not something I fully would want to get on board with, but it looks like a lot of the money and a lot, or a lot of the bets rather seem to think the way that you're thinking Dan, with like maybe, maybe take Indiana plus the points, but at the same time, 
what happens when it's 14 nothing or if it's 14 nothing seven minutes into the game and then you're sitting there holding holding plus 30 and you're hanging on for dear life for the next 52 minutes or so ultimately you know in the way the way it's going so i would lay i would lay the points here because i think ohio state has something to prove and i think whatever quarterback ultimately does play they're both probably going to play and they're both going to see the entire playbook to exercise so i can't see ohio state stopping scoring in this game yeah, Indiana fans say, but it's Trace Jackson Davis's brother, the transfer from the Vowels that shall set us free. And I'm like, yeah, I've been watching this crap since 72. I'm glad you said Ohio State because I just put 100 on it. I'm giving the 30. Screw it. I will never bet on Indiana football for exactly the reason you said. They get down 14 to nothing. They miss a field goal or something. The other team goes back 21 to nothing, and now I got 56 to 7. You know what I mean? And I don't need that. Bear, I got to run. You're the best. Hope you'll come on a lot. Totally. We will. Look look forward to doing a lot with you this year. Good luck with your, uh, your wages, and have a great weekend, everybody. You too, Bear. That's our friend Chris Felica, a.k.a. the Bear, comes over from ESPN to Big Noon Kickoff. I'm telling you, Big Noon Kickoff got better. And I've said this forever, and I'll say it again. You know, I rag on ESPN as a place, as a woke company, but the people that I met there, the friends that I made are absolutely fantastic. And Bear, quite frankly, was one of them. Was Hey, did you see this? Wander Franco. This clown, the shortstop for the Rays, now is being investigated for another allegation. This is going to be number three, ladies and gentlemen. Number three for this guy, Franco, of dating or relationships with underage kids. This dude is sick. This dude needs to not only be out of baseball, but he needs to be out of everything. After the first complaint against Franco was filed July 17th, another girl alleged to specialized prosecutor's office for boys, girls, and adolescents that she had a relationship with Franco as a minor. So she says, while the third girl has not spoken to authorities, they're still investigating her alleged relationship with Franco. Look, uh, and for those of you that are going to try because he's an athlete to say, well, he's a young guy, Hey, I get it. You're in high school. You're 17. The girl's 16. Okay. I mean, that can happen. You're both in high school, but you're a major league baseball player in your 20s or early 20s, and you're having relationships with eighth graders. You're sick. Get out of here. Yeah, a lot of people, well, you know, he's really young. No, stop it. I don't give a damn. Hey, look, if you're an eighth grader and you're playing spin the bottle or kissy face, uh, whatever. Okay, great. But you're a major league baseball player dating eighth graders. Throw his ass in jail. All right. Our president spoke again yesterday. And this is so funny on so many levels. And I don't know what I can say that's going to get me in trouble here, but we all know Pete Buttigieg and his sexual orientation. It's what has made him popular. Pete Buttigieg has done nothing either as the mayor of South Bend or as the transportation secretary. He's literally done nothing, but he and his Chasen or Chaston or whatever the hell the guy's name is, they had a baby. He took his six months leave or whatever it was. And everybody went, oh, isn't Pete Buttigieg great? No, he's not. He's a horrible mayor. Did absolutely nothing for the city of South Bend. Now as transportation secretary, we have an absolute mess running around in the airlines. We have an absolute mess in subways. We have a mess. And this guy is a train wreck. Everything Buttigieg uh, touches goes to crap. But yesterday, and this is ironic in so many, many different ways, 
our beloved president introduced or thanked Pete Buttigieg. Check it out. Thank you, Secretary Buttigieg. Somebody help that man. <laughs> Booty. Juice. I'm not going to even say it. I'm thinking it. You're thinking it. But I'm not even saying it, ladies and gentlemen. Booty. Juice. Dig deeper. Now, those of you that don't like me, will say, I'm back at you're a homophobe. No, I'm not. I like funny. I like ironic. I like funny ironic. I like ironic funny. And this is all of them. Hi, Secretary Booty Juice. Can we play that again? And the dude laughing is just off the charts. It's just great because he's just like, oh, my God. Thank you, Secretary Booty Juice. Somebody help that man. (laughs) Can't make this stuff up. What was that show where the guy was living in a fake world like a bubble? We're living in a simulator. We'll be right back. The great Benetti joins us from some hotel room somewhere later on the star. Of the world record, 92,000 people showed up in Nebraska for a volleyball game in Memorial Stadium. Emily Eamon, yeah, my beautiful niece. That's right. She was the color analyst on it, and she was a superstar. She's going to join us at 1045. Benetti next. Let's get this done. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, the great Benetti is everywhere. The great Benetti just doesn't do college or uh, White Sox baseball. The great Benetti does college basketball, college football. He's currently in Texas, and I have offered him $100 if he does not mention the name Arch Manning unless Arch Manning plays. I don't think that's possible. Are you guys going to open with Arch Manning for the Texas Rice game? Is that going to be the open? It's not our open. Stop it. You've done TV before. What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, there's a lot wrong with me. Hey, uh, I want to show you something. You ready? Uh-oh. You're I... standing up for this? I don't know. Yeah. Let's say this is a gun, okay? I'm Can not I put it this. in the folds? <laughs> Goodbye. Oh, the White Sox have been in the news. I'm not going to ask Jason to report on that. It's a police matter. It's an investigation, and he's not allowed to comment. How's that? Uh, let's. <laughs> I tried the other day to put something I am never, in the folds of my phone. Here's what I will say to you. 
uh, about show and tell with Dan Dockage. I cannot imagine in second grade when the teacher said to you, what did you bring for show and tell? I can imagine it was appropriate. Uh, life, the Dockage you know, is so much different than the Dockage that has been. I was the guy, although I did get kicked out of third grade. Different story. I flipped off Sister, uh, sis, what the hell was her name? Sister Geraldine. A friend of mine says the first time he'd ever seen the middle finger, and it was me to Sister Geraldine. You can't, why, why did you do that? She pissed me off. She used to hit us. She, you'd get a drink, and she would take her finger like this, and she'd poke you, and I was bleeding on, on my white Catholic boy shirt. And I said, damn, and I turned around, and I got sent to the principal. My mother, ironically, was a third grade teacher at a different school. It was a very difficult time for me. Oh, I'm sorry, young Dan. You told her your favorite number was 11, and she didn't like that. I think so. I only went half. Uh, all right, let's get into this. You not only cover the White Sox, and you do it along with Stoney as the best broadcast, but I, I turned my channel on, there's Benetti. I turned it over here, there's Benetti. So I'm going to ask you a baseball question. It's really the only baseball question I care about. Are the Cubs going to make the playoffs? Are the Cubs going to make the playoffs? Here's my thing about that. I thought they were going to make a run in that pocket of a week schedule they had after the Sox played at Wrigley, and they didn't make the run then. And so it concerns me that they didn't take advantage of a soft schedule when they had Kansas City in. I think they lost the opener in that series. They still won the series. But like that was the time it felt like to me they needed to make their run and be in first place when we got to today on September 1st. So I'm less bullish on them winning that division than I was when the Sox were at Wrigley. I said it on the year when be in first place on September 1st. They weren't. And so now I think the wild card is much more plausible. I do think they're deep enough to make the playoffs, but I'm concerned they didn't take advantage of the schedule when it was there for them. You know, what, what is wrong with the White Sox? Let me ask you this. A lot of Chicago fans here. What, what, what is wrong? It seems like this is two years now of, of, of lo failed expectations. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I think some of it was injuries, and then some of it is just players not playing up to performance that people expected of them. But also when you don't have depth, and the Sox don't really have depth in terms of bringing up a couple starters from AAA, especially with an injury to a kid named Davis Martin, who was really going to be their swingman this year from AAA. He came up a bunch of times last year and was like a starter in a doubleheader or a bulk innings relief guy. When you don't have that to bring up from AAA and you thought you were going to have that, it kind of messes up your plans. So that's part of it. And I think the other part of it is, you know, simply just atmospherically, there have been some. Players saying what they said once they've left and everything that goes along with that. I just I think the instinct is right that a reset was necessary. That's all. Now, I will say this, and I, I, I don't think this is going to be popular in White Sox fan circles, but having been around Pedro Griffol a bunch this year, and I know they have 53 wins or whatever it is right now, but having been around Pedro Griffol a bunch, 
the manager. I think he's a really perceptive guy. I think he wants to change those things. And I think, especially with the way he and Chris gets get along, the new general manager, I do think there's a better chance that those things change today than yesterday. And and I know nobody wants to hear it from me that a guy who won 53 games in the manager's seat is the right guy. But having had extensive conversations with him and the way he sees the psychology of a clubhouse and the way he sees the organizational structure and how it should be, I really do believe in his eye for change. Whether or not he can be an agent for change, that's a different story. And it depends on the people around him. You know, one of the things that organizations that are bad do is they panic every two years. They get rid of the manager. Look, everybody, I think, in Chicago world felt like it was time for Han and Williams to go. I get that. But at some point, if you hired the guy to be a manager, you got to give him a little bit of time, particularly when your organization is dysfunctional. We, we, and I'm not just talking about the White Sox. Let's talk about it on a broader spectrum. I mean, look, if all of a sudden there's some, you know, unicorn out there that you can get, which apparently is Joe Madden for everybody, but he, he, and I don't care if it's football. I don't care where it is. Sarkeesian, you're doing a, you're doing a Texas game. You know, I know people love Sarkeesian last year. He played Alabama tough, but hey, you know, let the guy go a couple years and see where we're at. Well, I think, uh, you know, the one that always sticks out to me because I did some games with him and I'm sorry, my my Zoom says my internet connection is unstable. I think it might just mean that you're unstable on my internet connection. Um, but I will say Jim Calhoun is the guy that stands out for me because Jim in his first couple of years at Northeastern wasn't a 25 win guy. And then early on at UConn, he wasn't this big winner that he became. And so... I think a level of patience that comes with coaches is kind of necessary in this time, but it's not exactly, especially in college football, it's not the chic thing to do either. Because say Texas beats Rice tomorrow, but then loses to Alabama and then loses two other games and they have three losses in a season when they're preseason 11, I, I think that they're, they're going to fire up the hot seat. And I don't know how totally necessary that is, although it is absolutely win now. And not only is it win now, it's be in this conference now. Like we woke up this morning to SMU, Cal, and Stanford going to the ACC. I don't know how many decision makers in college sports or anywhere really have a long-term stake in the thing that they're deciding about. And remember back in the day, like, you would think an athletic director was going to be there forever. And now these are all sort of puddle jump jobs, right? Every athletic director job is one of those simply because kind of the mantra in that world is do one round of donations, one round of giving, and then go take another job because people tire of everything so much faster nowadays. And so I don't know if anybody's really a stakeholder in the thing that they're dealing with. Like when you and I, like, especially when you were growing up and then when I was growing up, I think it was the same that you had people who were stakeholders in the thing that they were dealing with. I don't know that that happens much anymore. You? Boy, do I, oh, I totally agree with that. And I've said this for a long time. 
You know, the world of athletic directors changed everything because athletic directors, maybe they hired a coach that didn't work out, but the AD wasn't getting fired. Maybe they had a bad academic coach or a bad academic team and the AD wasn't getting fired. The AD was staying there. Longtime ADs, man, were, were the commonplace, but you're so right. Look, everything goes uphill now. Player screws up. It's the coach, and now it's the AD. How was the AD's response? So I don't blame ADs now for keeping their feet moving, much like coaches are, because back in my day, Jason, those dudes stayed forever. There was never heat on an AD. It was always the player that screwed up and the coach that brought him in, period. Now the AD is as much a fall guy as anybody, so they're in the mix more than ever. I'm with you on that. It's all they're all um, political corporate devices now. Right. And I, I'm not going to stump for mom and pop shops for everything because I don't think that's the way to win a lot either. But I will say, you know, the level of corporate that has gotten into college athletics. And here I am as a television announcer for those college athletics saying that. But I do think in every part of the world. Uh, the level of corporate has increased, which means that you just have all these political games being played behind the scenes everywhere at all times. Uh-oh. I think in other ways, that's a problem that there are no sacred cows, too. You know... People, and again, I never tell people what to think because if they don't think like me, they're wrong. But people saying, well, you know, the Atlantic Coast Conference just added two teams from the Pacific Coast and one from the Southwest. That that, that type of thinking is just, it's just obsolete. I mean, it, it, the name is the name, but the money is the money. And three schools that they brought in all got big scratch. I got to tell you, in a way, I get uh, because the ACC, and tell me if you agree with this, the ACC is kind of Southern rich guy, in my opinion. Uh, academic, we're smarter than you, so Cal and Stanford fit. I feel like SMU is a little bit beneath the ACC, but that's just me. But money talks, and that's what matters. Oh, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that. campus will I think they will fit in much more in the ACC than you think I, I as SMU is a really good school and I I've no I'm having been there having done basketball there a bunch I actually think they fit I do I, I feel comfortable saying that I think it's it's one of those institutions that kind of if they had another team in Texas it would make a lot more sense to me um, but I you know I I think in a couple of years we're going to get one of those don't call us the Atlantic Coast Conference, call us the ACC. Like, don't call us Kentucky Fried Chicken, call us KFC, what? because we have more than chicken. We have salads. We have more than the Atlantic Coast. We now have this other coast, but shh. So call us the ACC. Like like uh, when the American Conference said, don't call us the AAC. Well, you named yourself the American Athletic Conference. So, you know, I mean, people shorten these things. But I do think this is one of those places we're going to get that. Like, we are the ACC. In second reference, please do not call us the Atlantic Coast Conference. You know, I remember you and I did, I think it was a Miami of Ohio Friday night Mac game. And one of the things was, hey, we are not Miami, Ohio. Like, oh, okay. 
I, all right, where did you move? What the hell did you do? Did you go somewhere else? I, I, I don't know. All right, I'm with you. Well, here's here's my here's the problem with that. They're playing the Miami Hurricanes this weekend in football. It's Miami <laughs> against Miami. What are we going to call you? <laughs> I think you just go with Nick nicknames, right? The Hur- what, what are they? The Red Hawks now? Uh, yeah, the Red Hawks. No, Red are Hawks. they the Red Hawks or the Red Hawks? Yeah, they're the Red. They're the, they're Red, the Red Hawks. Hawks. Hey, uh, so. Arch Manning, you're doing preparation. Nobody prepares like you. Ewers had a great game until he got hurt last year against Alabama. I remember that was one of those games that I'm like, all right, I'm going to turn it on. And then I couldn't stop watching. Arch Manning's all the rage. He's getting paid a ton of money. Is he going to play in the game that you're doing? I don't know. We're, we actually have our meeting with Texas coaches in about an hour and a half here, two hours in Austin. Uh Quinn Ewers is the starting quarterback, and Quinn Ewers is a really good starting quarterback. So I, I barring some sort of injury situation, uh, I don't know what that looks like other than Quinn Ewers. Now, I will say the the thing that people will bring up at all times this college football season is the way Max Duggan got the starting job at TCU last year, right? If if you quizzed Sonny Dykes right now, last year, he would say Chandler Morris is our quarterback. Chandler Morris then gets hurt. Max Duggan takes the job. They go to the college football playoff championship game. So it's one of those, like, just a team has a turn around of a new coaching staff. Uh, then you have people saying, well, why can't we all do that? Now it's going to be like, okay, if a quarterback gets injured even for a half and the other guy succeeds, people are going to write, well, Max Duggan did it. So I don't want to say anything unequivocally, but this is Quinn Ewer's team. My uh, college roommate is the radio analyst for the Longhorns, Roger Wallace, and he told me, he goes, look, they got a third guy. This guy Murphy's unbelievable, like a physical freaking specimen at quarterback for Texas. Yeah, Malik Murphy, right? He he uh, he was listed as two on the death chart. We haven't had the official word who's two and who's three, but in in the era of the transfer portal and NIL, um, you you can't be the third quarterback and not have people in your ear and say, "Should you stay?" Right? And this isn't a Texas comment. This is an everybody comment. Right. So it's hard to keep any depth at the quarterback position. And that's why TCU was so special last year. Like Max Duggan's dad, I talked about it in the show. Max Duggan's dad said to him, you've had backups before. Now that's your job. Right. There are not every dad is going to say that. Not every dad is going to say, hey, stick around because you're the backup now, kid. But it it depends on that level of your heart. And so Texas is going to be so next week and then beyond after they we'll we'll see what they look like. They might be a juggernaut tomorrow. They very well could be against a race team that's getting better. But uh, but Texas is one of the most interesting teams in college football this year because they have expectations for the first time outside of Austin for a while. Everybody's like, oh, maybe this is the year. And you know, we've heard Miami is back, right? We've heard a lot of teams are back. Syracuse is back, right? And then suddenly things change because college football is 
kind of kind of a difficult Big 12 still for a final season when, by the way, everybody's going to take their shots at Texas this year because they and Oklahoma are leaving for the SEC. Well, I'm going to stay with what you said about quarterbacks and dads. Obviously, uh, Cooper Manning, who is the father of Arch, decided knowing Ewers was there. I'm sure they knew that Murphy was a specimen, but they still sent him to Texas to play for Sarkeesian. I don't know. I mean, if Ewers is as good as advertised, uh, the Mannings might have to make a decision. I'm sure they've thought this out because that seems like the Manning move. But I, I, honest to God, I thought it was very odd from a playing standpoint. I understand there's personal. I understand you like the school, you like the town, you like the coach, you like the quarterback coach. You got friends there. I get all that. But from a player perspective on the field, I thought it was very odd that Arch Manning went there to begin with. Yeah, I, I also think uh, with the family he has, and this is not having talked to them, but I do think with the pedigree and the family he has, there's there in some ways I could see a realization that this is a long game too. Like you're not only playing for one year in college, you're playing for a degree, sure. you're playing for who you want to play for, you're playing for being behind a guy for a little while and learning. I mean, I just did Sox Rockies two weeks ago. Peyton Manning was Todd Helton's backup for a little while in uh, Knoxville for Tennessee. So they understand. I mean, this is not a play right now family, I don't believe. They have their own quarterback camp, and they know development exists. So I do understand it in that way, certainly. Last thing, uh, you know, you and I, arguably both weird, Uh, you're in Austin, Texas, weird. Let's get weird is the motto of Austin, Texas. Uh, you got an afternoon. You got an evening tonight. Uh, you going to get weird? Yeah, here in Austin is uh, the author David Foster Wallace is kind of an idol of mine, and they have all of his papers at the UT library. That is the nerdiest thing that will be on OutKick today and maybe all week. So that is the weird that I would, I'm not going to go like ride a steer or anything like that. Could you imagine me with a lasso? Like the only lasso that I would hang around with is Ted Lasso. (laughs) What? All right. Do you have papers? Like, I don't yeah, have papers. I, like, yeah, I got papers. I got my papers. boards for this game. <laughs> I, I have papers. Okay, I got pa- I got papers, too. But what, papers? what are some authors' papers? Yeah, I got papers. What the hell? I mean, what, what, are, an, what are an author's papers? What are they? I'm going to start saving, saving a little notepad. I'm going to save the key card thing from the <laughs> yes. hotel I'm at. Like that's that's what I'm gonna do. So I have papers. I need to make sure I have papers. My papers are cocktail napkins from the airline <laughs> yeah. that I write notes on for stuff I'm doing. Oh man, I can't wait till that's in the Smithsonian. Benetti's papers exhibit My papers. Uh, eleven to eleven oh five. Come see, <laughs> come see it. Yeah, yeah. It's a very tiny exhibit, and it was it, they actually yeah. paid. They, the my my family paid to have them in there. Every day they're in there, it costs us more money. Yeah, I I I shouldn't have papers. I don't want papers. Mine's gonna be like a QR code. Mine is don't read the papers about me. Don't read the damn papers. <laughs> don't don't do it. 
Oh on paper. my god. Hi, I'm Dan Dockage. I have papers. They're rolling papers, but I have papers. I was gonna say they're toilet papers. Wait, I'll get them out of there. Here, 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 here. here. Come see Dan Dockage's papers. Most of them have been flushed, but this one's newly used. When's your birthday? I couldn't hear you. Say that again. My internet's unstable. When's your birthday? Uh, my birthday is eight days from today. All right. Um, Lee and I want to come up there and go out and take you out to dinner for your birthday. I know you got a million friends. I know it's probably a big party because it's a big birthday. But Lee's like, Dan, we, we got to go back. We got to take Jason out to dinner for his birthday. Oh, that's, re that's really I nice. Said no. I said no. I said no. Screw them. You know. Well, here's what I think you need to do. On my birthday, I'm going to be in Ames, Iowa for Iowa, Iowa State. And that is the place oh, that is the place where you went vegan for 12 hours. So I think Yeah. We should Hey, I'm Dan. I'm vegan. Uh, What's in that butter cake? I don't care. Send it over. <laughs> Uh, I did go vegan. We had the soup. We had the soup at noodles, a nice tomato soup. We had a nice soup. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great broadcast, my friend. I'm serious about that. I'm going to be texting you because it's a big birthday coming up. I don't want to say your age, but it's a big birthday. I'm getting old, old. Oh, no, sh no is shit. Is there gray in here? No I think shit. there's gray in here. No. Nah, you color that nice, Shashevsky style. I can tell. Ah, bye. <laughs> See, uh, that's the great Jason Bonetti. Uh, yeah, White Sox announcer, but so much more than that. He's calling the Texas Rice game, and you know what? Just a great time. We went up last week, paid off a uh, at our golf outing. Jason was nice enough to donate a meet and greet with him. White Sox, great tickets. We went up there on the hottest day of the world. I got up there too late. We didn't do the meet and greet until after. We went all went out to dinner with the guys that won the auction. Benetti, three bottles of wine later, which he did not drink because he had a fantasy draft. Uh, we had a great, great night with the great Benetti. Anyway, uh, I'm telling you right now, uh, I don't know. You guys tell me. But if I am Arch Manning and I'm sitting there, see, here's the deal. It's different when you're actually doing it, all right? Let me equate it to sex. You read about it, you see it, but when you actually do it, it's different than what you read about, what you saw, what you anticipated. That's what Arch Manning's going to get. They read about it, they know it, they see it, they think it's the right move, and then all of a sudden... Starting at quarterback, Quinn Ewers, and then he's doing it. He's sitting out. He's watching. Wait a second. I've never sat and watched anything in my life. This ain't so bad at first, or this is terrible at first, and then you settle in, and you look around. Great crowd chanting my name, not playing. Then you go back to the dorm. You haven't played. You go in the locker room. You don't feel a part. You're like, huh, I don't feel a part of this. Wait a second. Everybody's cheering. School song. I didn't play. You don't feel. I remember the first game I didn't play in. 
Remember the first game I got a DNP. It was at Kansas State, and I wanted to walk off the bus and go home. Even my freshman year, I played in every game. There was a point in time where Knight thought I could help the team. My sophomore year, actually my junior year, probably my senior year, there were games I did not play in. And I'm like, screw this. You can say you're a great teammate. You can be a great teammate. You can be all about the team winning. But I'm just telling you, when you don't play, it's horrible. Horrible. And Arch Manning is going to find that out, I guess. That seems to be the way it is, unless there's a route. And I'm going to tell you something else, and I'm probably going to be wrong about this, but the highlights and things that I've seen on Arch Manning, I'm not all that shot in the ass with him. I said it before, if his last name was Dockett, he'd just probably be okay. He'd be a good recruit. Great that we have him. We think he's wonderful. We think he's a great player. We think he's going to become really good in our program. Uh, Not $2.5 million a year as an NIL guy. That's just my opinion on it. Doesn't mean my opinion's right, but it is my opinion. And I don't think he is. I I just think to myself, this is going to be tough. All right. Quickly, stock up, stock down. John Rahm, ladies and gentlemen, stock up. Stock up on John Rahm. Why, you ask? I will tell you why. Because John Rahm uh, got drunk, didn't have a club in his hand the weekend before the Masters, and you know what John Rahm did? John Rahm went out and won the Masters. Jack Nicholas told him, look, weekend before, get away. Put the club down. So not only did Rom do that, but he went out and got hammered with his buddies. I'm telling you, there ain't nothing that a good old getting hammered can't solve, particularly when you're that age. When you're my age and you have too much, the next day's miserable. You got to make a decision. Do I take a shot to make this day okay or do I just suffer? LSU, Florida State, week one, Sunday night, college football. That's what you're supposed to do in college football. That's where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to play. You're supposed to play really good teams. College basketball, we get feast week, and it's fine, but watching two teams play in a half-full uh, ballroom in the Bahamas ain't the same as showing up in a massive stadium. Look, if I'm Indiana and Kentucky in basketball, I'm playing that game like it's my job. Third, stock up Sage Steele. Sage Steele came on this show She absolutely killed it. More beautiful inside than outside, and she is stunningly beautiful outside. I can't wait to see what's next for Sage Steele because Sage Steele could run for damn president, and she would get my vote. Sage Steele could run for anything, and she would get my vote. She is the Jackie O of our modern generation. Boom! Stock down Keith Olbermann. Is Keith Olbermann sick? Is he dying? Is it a cry for help? Who in the Sam and Henry goes at Riley Gaines about her swimming? You don't like Riley Gaines because you think women should have to compete against men dressed in front of men? Hey, that's on you. The world's a big place. We got 350 million people in this country. Everybody can have a different idea on what's what. But to attack a woman that was an All-American, to attack a woman that was a champion about her sport, her swimming, and if you know anything about swimming... These dudes are the toughest athletes out there. They get up early in the morning. They swim in the cold. The machine that Doc Councilman, legendary swimming coach at Indiana, put together for swimming was the punishment machine that Indiana basketball players had to go on. Don't at me, Oberman. You're sick. You're crazy. Just go away. 
Eric Gilbert, my man, you decided it was a good idea to break into a vape shop, a convenience store, and you did it on camera where the camera was linked to the police. So this idiot, the tight end for Nebraska, decides it's a good idea. Once he stepped outside the convenience store, guess what? Arrested. Cuffs. I'm sure there'll be a racist charge some there. Staying in Nebraska, Megan Hunt is a senator in the great state of Nebraska. She too went at Riley Gaines. She too, because she is in the most tolerant group, the LGTBQ community. Look at those eyes. Those eyes tell you that this is a whole lot of nasty. That stomach tells you that's a whole lot of nasty right there. And she proved herself to be a foo. She is beneath contempt. She, Eric Gilbert, just dumb and he needs help. But she, ladies and gentlemen, this woman and Keith Olbermann are sick. Look at that face. Imagine waking up to that. And that's in front of the Senate with makeup on. Imagine waking up to the nastiness that's inside that. Ick. That's all I got to say. Ick. All right. Get your pens and paper. I'm one and one. I'm one and one. I'm down 10 bucks in college foots. I got the college bets courtesy of DraftKings. Let's do it. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, I just got an alert on my phone. Disney stock has hit a, listen for it, 52-week low. I have Disney stock, and honest to God, Disney stock continues to plummet. Go woke, get broke, get woke, go broke. However you want to say it, I don't care. It is true, true, and more true. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I got a pen. Where the hell's my paper? Actually, I don't need paper because these are my bets. Here's my paper. All right. I got two bets that I'm hot on, two bets that I'm not so hot on. Let's go, courtesy of our friends at DraftKings, where, listen, all you got to do, and I think uh, Gritty did this, all you got to do is take five bucks, put it in your DraftKings account, you get $200 in free bets. So let's go. Put five bucks on these. Your toes will be tapping. All right. No more uno. Rutgers football, minus six and a half against Northwestern. Now, the problem with this game is that you got to watch this game. The problem with this is who really cares about either. The only thing that we have cared about Northwestern football, frankly, is the fact that their big fat linemen decided they wanted to get naked. Their big fat linemen said, hey, look. We're going to act like idiots. We're going to soap up our genitals. We're going to rub on each other. What are you doing? Literally, that's the only thing that we care. Old coach out, new coach in. They bring in Skip Holtz to be the coach advisor to an inexperienced head coach. That's the side of it from Northwestern. Here's the side from Rutgers. Now, think of Urban Meyer however you will. I love the guy. I think he's great. 
I think he's fantastic. Whatever you think of Urban Meyer, if you're a Tennessee fan, whatever you think of Urban Meyer, if you're a Michigan fan or you're an Indiana fan or you're one of the fans whose ass he kicked for years and years and years and years, one thing about the man that is unequivocal is he knows football. He knows coaches. He told me one time Greg Schiano's probably the best coach he's ever been around. He told me that Greg Schiano understands offense, defense. I get it. Tennessee did not want it. That's fine. You do you, Tennessee. And I know Clay was a big part of that. And it just shows the great influence of the great Clay Travis and our folks here at OutKick. But I got to tell you, Greg Schiano is in a situation now where he needs to win. Now, last time Greg Schiano, he had a quarterback named Teal. He had a running back named Ray Rice. And they won, and they won big. Now, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Rutgers is a great football team. Nobody can tell you that Rutgers is a great football team. Nobody wants to tell you that Rutgers is a great football team. Rutgers is not a great football team. Rutgers is a coached football team, a well-coached football team. Rutgers will look more like Kyle Whittingham than look like Billy Napier and his freaking crew cut. I'm just telling you, when you go through it, that's what you're going to see. Now, one and eight in the Big Ten does not cut it for Rutgers football. One and eight against one and eight. Somebody's going to win the game. Somebody's under more pressure, and that guy is Shiano. Now, the interim head coach, maybe he's under as much pressure because he wants to get the job. Yay, Rod, go fight, win. But if I don't believe for a second that Northwestern has come together under adversity, I go with the more stable program. I go with Rutgers here, minus six and a half. All right. One of the things that I believe in is experience, and nobody's more experienced than Shane Rattler. And when we've talked to Shane Beamer, well, I got to tell you, he, and I looked at his eyes when he spoke, talked about how good Rattler has been. Now, you're going to tell me, North, North Carolina, they got a quarterback named May. Here's my thing on it. Both of these teams have fantastic quarterbacks. Both of these teams have very good coaches. I've always said nobody is more overrated in football than Mac Brown. Mac Brown is a legendary light, nice guy. Mac Brown is a really fatherly good dude. Mac Brown, under the surface, though, is a little pain in the ass. He's one of those older guys that bitches, whines, and moans by acting like a grandfather. He showed himself when he walked out of the booth to catch a flight for ESPN when he was working as an analyst. Nobody does that. We all, including play-by-play guys, analysts, sideline reporters, producers, directors, gaffers, best boys, whatever. We've all missed flights because games went long. Here's the deal. North Carolina's defense stunk last year. North Carolina gave up 31 points a game. Now, I got to tell you, 31 points a game is going to get you beat. And if you haven't shorted up, then it's really going to get you beat. Now, Drake May is considered a Heisman Trophy candidate. Drake May is, along with Caleb Williams, the guy. But remember a couple of years ago, Shane Rattler was considered the guy. Shane Rattler struggled. Spencer Rattler, I keep calling him Shane. Spencer Rattler has not lived up to the massive hype until now. Problem with Shane Rattler, he throws it to the other team. 
And that is a problem. 12 interceptions last year is 10 too many. So what has to happen here is uh, my guy, Spencer Rattler, has to, has to play well. This is also, ladies and gentlemen, oh, I don't know, a bit of a homer pick because I am a huge fan of Shane Beamer, the coach. Huge, huge fan. Now, let me give you some numbers. I already gave you one defensively so I'm gonna, uh, for North Carolina, so I'm going to give you one here for South Carolina. This is going to determine the game. Last year, South Carolina was among the ranks of, listen for it, Rice, Northwestern, and Central Michigan in one category, and it's a really important category. That category is turnovers. 27 times, over two times a game, South Carolina turned the ball over. I am not loving this pick. I like this pick. I love the first one, but I want to give shouts and enthusiasm and energy to Shane Beamer. I'm taking it. I've bet these two. But if you turn the ball over and you're South Carolina, you are going to lose. If you turn it over once, you are going to win. I see Rutgers winning big. I don't think six and a half is enough. I think Northwestern's a mess. I don't care what they say about coming together. But I also think, and I, so I'm taking that one, and I'm taking that one big. Now, they asked me to do something that I'm cold on. Here is what I'm cold on. You ready? I'm cold on anything regarding Indiana football. I bet Indiana. Be, well, here's the deal. I bet Ohio State, and I laid the 20, or the 30. I did. Because as Bear said, what are you going to do? You're going to sit there. You're going to watch them go down 14 to nothing in the first quarter. Do the mass. That's 56 to nothing. Then there's a fumble. Then there's a field goal, 17. So you're thinking, all right, we held them to a field goal. We can get back 17 to 7. Then you're three and out. Ohio State goes and gets it. And now it's 24 to nothing halfway through the second quarter. And you're like, I'm going to bed. I'm going to golf. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to go see if Lee wants to have a little afternoon session. I don't know, but that's what I'm doing. The other one is Kentucky and Ball State. Look, I don't like Kentucky. I don't know why I don't like Kentucky. I didn't like Will Levis. I didn't like his face. I love Mike New. Mike New's the head coach at Ball State. Kentucky's got a new quarterback. He's transferred from Virginia, and he's really good. I just don't want to bet this game. Mike New, the coach at Ball State, I used to sneak him in Bob Knight's basketball camp because I had a major crush on his sister, who was a pom-pom girl at Indiana. The great Lisa knew. She could have told me, hey, my mother wants to come to basketball camp, and I would have snuck her in. Mike New grew up, became a great football player, and now he's the head coach at Ball State. I'm a fan. I've listened to that Stoops guy talk at Kentucky. I didn't like him. So if I don't like you, I ain't betting you. I don't care. Get the hell out of my face. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the other day, two nights ago, not last night, two nights ago, Wednesday night, was the biggest volleyball game in the history of the NCAA. It was the most attended volleyball game in the history of volleyball. There were a lot of stars that night. One of the stars was Nebraska. The state of Nebraska showed up because the state of Nebraska always shows up. Nobody shows up for sports like Nebraska. Another one of the stars was Nebraska volleyball. And one of the cool things about the broadcast on Big Ten Network was that they continued to highlight all of the women that had come before and played and were all Americans 
at Nebraska. You know on this show, we support strong women. We will always support strong women. But the biggest star was a young lady named Emily Eamon. Full disclosure, this beautiful woman is my niece. She's my sister Jackie's daughter. More full disclosure, she is considered by the coaches, the Shondells of the world, to be the number one proponent, the best analyst in women's volleyball. That's why you saw her doing the biggest game. Emmy G, as I call her. What's going on? Congratulations. Do me a favor. Talk about the experience of calling that incredible day, that incredible night, and that incredible game. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm pumped to be on here. I think it's the first time we've chatted on the show. So uh, I'm pumped. It but is. I mean, that game, <clears throat> not only just from a game standpoint, but just event standpoint, it was the coolest sporting event I'd ever been to. And, you know, I've been to college football playoff games. I've covered volleyball national championships. Uh, you know, we went to the when Duke won an Indy in 2015 for basketball. And this by far was the coolest college sporting event I've ever seen. I mean, the energy in that entire stadium was just palpable. It was from the moment you walked in, I just started crying. I mean, seeing that many people out there when the players did the tunnel walk with Coach Cook, um, it was the coolest event to see 92,000 people packed into a stadium for, you know, of course, the sport that I love, but just to see that for women's sports, you know, like we, we don't get that. And to have that be the highest attended women's sporting event and not just volleyball, in the history of the world, seeing that many people in one place was the coolest thing that I could have ever imagined. Uh, one of the coolest things for women's sports. And then, of course, you know, just pushing volleyball forward. Again, I'm so passionate about it, but it was fun to see so many other people so excited and seeing other people join the conversation like Magic Johnson's tweeting about it. You know, I have Pat McAfee tweeting about it. All these people that have no connection to the sport whatsoever, but seeing that many people in one stadium just really blew them away, and, and it was so fun for us. Emily, a friend of mine asked me, and I guess I could have done research, but I knew I was having you on, so I'm assuming you know. How, how did this come about? How did it come about that, hey, look, we're going to break an all-time record here? Yeah, so it actually started uh, a few years back. Essentially, Nebraska, they really like to hold the regular season attendance record because, you know, they have some of the best volleyball fans in the whole country. So, Last fall, Nebraska and Creighton played at the CHI Health Center in Omaha, and they ended up breaking the regular season NCAA women's volleyball attendance record. It was about 15,500 people at that point. A week later, Wisconsin hosts Florida at the Cole Center, where their basketball team normally plays, and they, they ended up breaking the record just a week later. So it was set at 16,833. So right after that game, Coach John Cook, the head coach of Nebraska Volleyball, they started joking and they were like, hey, you know, this record belongs in Nebraska. Let's play at Memorial Stadium. Completely started as a joke. And then, you know, when you have someone like Trev, Al Trev Alberts as the AD there, he's someone who just makes stuff happen. And so right away that started getting some legs. And they said, you know, I actually think we, we could play there and we could pack that entire stadium. And around February, they announced the game that it would be held at Memorial Stadium they sold out tickets in April. They sold out 90,000 in 48 hours. So they already knew that they were going to shatter it, but it started out as a friendly competition among schools and ended up being the highest attended women's sporting event in the history of the world. You know what was cool about it? And you added to this, and I'm saying this uh, as a guy that has been in broadcasting and is critical of broadcasting, but as I watched it, 
And taking you, you know, being my niece out of it, Lee and I are both saying, man, you're really adding to it because you could have a bad announcer in that that isn't telling us anything, and people would still have loved the event. But you added big time to it because you told us what was going on. It's my biggest pet peeve. You're like, this should have happened, this could have happened, and this is what happened. So don't please, and I'm being totally serious, it's not your uncle. I, you so added to it, it was freaking awesome. It was. So I don't Thank want you, you to brag on yourself, but under, you need to understand that you do. Because the whole thing, just because you have a big sporting event, doesn't mean it captures the nation. It doesn't. It, it, it doesn't. We've had big sporting events. It, you know, we saw the women's national team. A lot of people are against, a lot of people are Okay, fine. But you added to it. But to that point, what 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 makes these Nebraska people so passionate about volleyball? What is it? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because thinking back, um, it didn't always start out that way. And you think back to like the 70s and especially when Nebraska football was winning national championships, you know, the entire focus is on football. And around the 70s, Nebraska volleyball had a head coach named Terry Pettit. He came over. Uh, he was 1977 through 1999. And he literally used to stand outside their arena and he would pop popcorn just to get fans inside after football games the Coliseum where they used to play was right next to Memorial Stadium and he would literally wave fans into the game so they weren't very good back then and they couldn't get fans in and this coach single-handedly brought fans into this program eventually they went on to win their first national title in 95 and the game game in, in Nebraska volleyball really started to pick up steam in terms of national prominence in terms of winning a lot and then just being a really fun game day atmosphere and you know once they started winning more they brought in john cook in 1999 they won their second title in 2000 and then won three more since then so now you have a team that has five national championships they've led the nation in attendance every year since 2013 you know they hold 13 of the 14 largest regular season crowds like this is a program that People love to watch, you know, not only for the good volleyball, but the game day atmosphere is so much fun. I think one of the other things that people forget about just the state of Nebraska is they don't have any pro sports teams. So that's why college there is so big. They love to go to football game day because, you know, they don't have an NFL team to cheer for. And especially when these programs are doing well, you know, you think back again, when to when football is winning national championships, people want to go because they're excited about these events. And now you have a team like volleyball that is winning national championships every year they're in contention for national championships it's a uh, it's so much fun and and I do want to say thank you about the broadcast part I mean it it takes a village as you know to put a broadcast together we have I think at Big Ten Network we have the best directors producers you know coordinating producer in the game that just want to show off um you know how great the game is and I thought our director did a phenomenal job with the cut shots with you know everything that went into it like you know watching it on the monitor I really felt like it captured what was happening in the stadium, which is really, really hard to do, um, especially for these massive events, especially when you have people that are used to producing volleyball games in a gym, not necessarily football games in a massive stadium. Well, I, I, to, to that point, I, I thought the game showed up really well on TV. You know how it is. Sometimes it's a great game, but the venue doesn't show up well. I thought the game... And, and, and the cameras, the placement of the cameras, the direction, the producer was fantastic in that. Yeah, it was it was so fun. I think, you know, from the moment we stepped out there, they were like, how can we capture this? And it was funny because 
the game itself actually sucked. You know, it was a blowout. You know, Omaha didn't score more than 15 right. points, but the event right. was captured so well. So it was funny, you know, doing my job, like I was so emotional the whole time, but then you still have a game to call, but the game itself isn't fun, but the event is big. There's a lot of layers to it, but I eventually, I think just the broadcast as a whole, they did such a good job. And I mean, again, kudos to to those behind them, the scenes and in the truck, just doing the real work. As you were there, and I'm assuming you got there earlier than basically everybody. It's usually what broadcasters do, right? As you were there, and the throng of people started coming in and coming in, and I assume they had all kind of things going on. I'm getting chills talking about it right now because those are pretty cool, right? How cool was that as, you know, 90,000 came in and in and in? Yeah, I mean, I I try not to get emotional, but I cried like five different times during that show. Like, you know, our producer hits us in our ear and goes, all right, 90 seconds to air. Meanwhile, there's a flyover. The team's doing the tunnel walk and I'm sitting there like sobbing, like trying to fix my mascara before we go on camera. Um, it was it was fun because we actually went Monday. And so Tuesday we kind of did a pre-production walkthrough, you know, watch practices where there's nobody in there. And I remember walking in and it just, it looked like a picture. Like it didn't look real. Like I remember, you know, when I was little going to somewhere like the Grand Canyon and it, it doesn't look like real, it looks like a painting. That's exactly how I felt about this, seeing a volleyball court center stage in this massive arena. It was so picturesque. And then on game day, getting there so early, getting everything set up, watching everyone fill the stands. And then they also had a bunch of standing room only seats, which... I mean, filled up so quickly as well. But seeing that stadium go from nothing to the biggest women's sporting event in the history of the earth was jaw-dropping. It was emotional. I think everyone in there was just so excited for Nebraska volleyball for the sport. Um, you know, they labeled it as Volleyball Day Nebraska. So they actually had two games or two teams playing earlier in an exhibition game. And so even for those two teams, you know, it was Wayne State and Kearney. So, you know, really small colleges. But to have that many fans in attendance for one of their games was so cool for them. And, you know, I, I was getting messages all day. Fans would stop me outside the arena and just explain how much Nebraska volleyball meant to them. Like, it changed so many people's lives. Like, for some people, it keeps them going. Um, it's something that is so uniquely special to this state. And I think volleyball as a whole, like Nebraska fans – are just different. They know the sport really well. I think that's one thing that is not the same in other places. Like they just want to see good volleyball and they're consistently seeing it with this Nebraska team. But I think that was what made me so emotional was seeing 90,000 people packed in, not just for, you know, volleyball, but for women's sports and a really a massive celebration of that. Well, women's sports is under attack and I'm not going to get political with you. I don't want to put you in that spot, but we've all seen women, I think, and women's sports are under attack. Lee and I are losing our mind, particularly her. So I'm her voice. So I get to speak for her because she's a pioneer in it. And, you know, she fought a lot of things. I mean, she fought being a, frankly, a straight woman with kids. She fought for the right to play. She actually moved from Toledo where they didn't have softball to Michigan. The family moved so she could play softball. She's been involved in a lot of it. So one of the things that we took out of it, Lee and I, was what a great day for women. Women's yeah. sports, women. To see that amount of people come out, to see hear your enthusiasm. And I'm telling you, your enthusiasm, your passion, people are texting me right now. Man, you can <laughs> feel it with Emily. You know, for that, that's just a great day for a group of people, the smartest people in our communities, the toughest people, women, 
to just have a great freaking day. Yeah, it was the coolest celebration of women's sports because, you know, I mean, we've yes. been fighting this uphill fighting this uphill battle for, you know, so many years, for decades. You know, we just coming off the 50-year anniversary of Title IX, but there's, you know, still so many issues that um, are apparent in women's sports. But this was such a celebration of that. You know, there were... I didn't see anyone or hear from anyone that didn't think this event was cool. You know, whether you're a fan of women's volleyball or not, whether you watch any women's sports or not, like just seeing that many fans packed in for one event um, for a sport that is underrepresented, at least in the U.S. in terms of coverage. And it was just it, like you could it was palpable energy, like you could feel it in that arena. And, you know, I hope at home when you were watching it, you could see that as well. And it seemed like you could based on the reaction from everyone. But it was truly the best celebration of women's sports. And I can't imagine another event, you know, hopefully we'll have more like it, but for this to be the first one, you know, at least for me, I can't think of another event that would, you know, feel the exact same way. And I think that's what made it so special. Yeah. You're going to have to come up with something pretty special if you're going <laughs> to not we'll break the record, but if you're going to put on an event like that, right. I mean, I'm assuming other schools are like, hold on here. Where can we play, right? I mean, where, you know, where, where can we play? Because let's be honest, you put that event on and you get 20,000 people, which is a great crowd. Mm -hmm. It's not nearly the same. You get 25, you get 40,000, you get a half fill. It's not the same. You got to be careful what you're doing here if you're going to try to match that bad boy. Well, I think also it's funny because I don't know if there's a lot of places that could do that. Like Nebraska fans, again, right. they love sports more than anything. They love volleyball more than anything. You know, I think of bigger teams like a Texas or a Wisconsin that also have massive fan bases. But can you get 90,000 people in a stadium? You know, I I would hope so, but I don't know if that could happen at this point. Now, in the future, absolutely. I think the sport's absolutely exploding. You know, it's growing more than any other sport among young players. But you know, I, I don't know if you can get 90,000 people in at this point, but in years down the line, you know, I want to see this happening every year. It was such a fun event. Also, you know, these schools are making a lot of money off of this event as well. Ticket sales and and all of that. So hopefully we'll see more of it. But, you know, I, I just hope this isn't the end. Yeah, like if I'm Boston College, I might want to play a game in Fenway Park. You know, it doesn't have to be a thousand. I mean, just do something different and unique. Hockey does it. Different places do it. Yeah. Emmy G, I love you, and you were so freaking great. Uh, and I say this as somebody completely biased, totally <laughs> biased, completely. But you were awesome, and thanks for coming on. I know you're busy. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I mean, I know you know this, but it's one of the reasons I'm in this job is because of you. And, and just watching you do it as I was growing up, it's the coolest job in the world. And uh, thank you. Love you. And you're killing it. Love you, Emmy G. <laughs> Telling you, you could feel the, the love of volleyball. You could feel in Emily her knowledge of history. And I'm telling you, that is what made the broadcast. You can't put somebody out there that doesn't know the history. You can't put any somebody out there that's just calling a game. She is the best I have heard on the Big Ten Network in any sport. Now, you can argue with me all you want. Yes, I'm her uncle. But she sat there and told us why. Here's what you're supposed to do in broadcasting. You're supposed to forecast. You're supposed to entertain. You're supposed to explain. And so many people don't. So many people can't forecast because they don't know the sport. 
She knows the sport. So many people can't explain because their brain doesn't work quick enough to explain what happened and then doing it in an entertaining manner. Everybody can know the history. Everybody can know a stat. When you hear somebody throw a stat out, immediately go, that person doesn't really know. But when you hear somebody, and Emily did this better than any analyst I've heard in basketball or football on the Big Ten Network, and maybe anywhere, she explained it. She told you what was going to be happening. She was totally immersed in the environment, and she did it with an entertaining passion and enthusiasm that I hope you could hear in her voice. Of course I'm biased. What are you, nuts? It's my sister's daughter. It's one of my favorite human beings alive. Are you insane? I mean, we used to say, hey, Emily, do a backflip. She'd do a backflip. Love that girl. Superstar. If you're an agent, get a hold of her. Because she's a super, she's going to do football, she's going to do basketball, she's going to do whatever the hell. If anybody's smart, Zager and you guys here at the top of uh, Fox Sports, get her involved. Big Ten Network is part of Fox. She should be doing sidelines for every big football game, NFL, college. She should be doing analyst work. I don't give a damn. She's great. Not good. She is great. Eric Shanks, you run the whole thing. You're from Indiana. Girl grew up in Bloomington. Go back and watch that game and tell me any of your football analysts are better at analyzing than Emily. This is some shit I know about. I don't know about much. You put a painting out there. I don't know if it's a Picasso or Slapdick Johnny from down the street. You put music up there. I don't know it unless it's like a group that I like. But I know announcing and that woman killed it. And that woman made the event much, much better because a horse bleep analyst could have screwed the thing up and people would have turned the channel. And I couldn't be more proud of her. Her dad, Jeff, great dude. Her mother, great. One of, well, my sister is one of my all-time favorite women. What the hell? And you know what? Her stepdad, Bobby, and the whole, just a great, great, great. I'm so proud of her. And I, I got to go, but I could keep talking about her if you want. If you want me to continue, ladies and gentlemen, I can keep talking about Emily Eamon and the job she did on that broadcast. Thanks for a great week, everybody. We had another mountain of great guests. The Bear came on, Chris Felica, Emily was on, Benetti was on. You know what? Uh, I don't know what to tell you. Another great week. We're the fastest growing morning show on YouTube. Have a wonderful, wonderful Labor Day weekend. I'm going to go to the bathroom, pack the car, and I'm staying right here. People are breaking in in my neighborhood. They are. There have been a couple break-ins. I ain't leaving. And I got a gun. We'll see you Tuesday. We'll see you Tuesday.